Our Father, we are grateful to be here to worship together, to hear your word. And Lord, we ask that you'd speak to us. Lord, speak into our hearts, our lives. Help us to know you better, to know your son, to be transformed, to be more like him. Lord, let us be fertile soil this morning. Encourage and equip us in all areas to live kingdom first. Every day of every week of every year that we might honor you, our Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. As Trey mentioned, it's hot. It's summer. It's Texas. My wife is six months pregnant. It's really hot for her. At this point, just about everything is difficult. Sitting, walking, lying down, moving, it's just all difficult. Eating, isn't that enjoyable? Which means dates are much harder. Like there's nothing we can do uh, because there's nothing that she really can enjoy right now because everything's kind of hard. And so we were brainstorming, or I should say she was brainstorming, on what we could do that she might enjoy for a date. Now, guys, don't get jealous about what I'm about to say, because we went on a date Friday night, and I know you all are just going to be like, oh, man, I wish I could have done that. We went to Crafted. It was me and 11 women (laughs) doing crafts. But my wife enjoyed it, and I'll tell you what, there's one part. So like you get wood, and you make this wood project, but at one point, there are like five different hammers, and you get three minutes, and you just get to beat the crud out of this wood for three minutes to the point that your arm hurts when you're done. That's manly. (laughs) Just keep telling myself that. Here's the thing. We started, and I had two pieces of wood. And by the end, I had something that actually looked kind of cool. I'm still not sure how it got to that point, because I am not real handy. Um, I don't don't do things like that very well. But it looked pretty cool. Something really ordinary and plain got transformed into something that was kind of cool. And this morning, that's what Paul says God is doing with his life. God is taking something ordinary. In fact, Paul will describe himself as a jar of clay and using it to show the extraordinary power of God. Now, we're in a series that I introduced last week where I talked about the fact that gravitational force exists in every object that has mass. Even as the earth is pulling us down, and we're grateful for that, so we are pulling on the earth. The only difference is the earth has so much more mass than we do 
but it overwhelms it. And here's the series. What are the largest objects of mass in your life that are pulling you? And are they pulling you toward the kingdom or away from it? Because there are objects in our lives and there are objects in the Apostle Paul's life that are pulling on him. Those are the objects we're talking about all summer long. Last week it was, how is it that Paul doesn't lose heart? How is it that he doesn't give in when there's so many things that he could, so many reasons why he might give in? And we said last week that object of mass is that he views his ministry as a gift of God. Not as a weight, not as something he has to prove. It's a gift God has given him. And so whenever it is people attack him, it doesn't bring him down in the same way because he's just doing God's work. And it's going to God, not to him. And that sermon is online if you missed it. Today we continue talking about why is it that Paul doesn't lose heart? Because it's all through this passage in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But a different reason this time. Why does Paul not lose heart? What's that big object of mass that is pulling him toward the kingdom? Here it is. Paul believes that his suffering has a purpose. Paul believes that what he goes through, God uses. And it's not just a saying for Paul. It's not like a nice thing that he puts on a bumper sticker. It's not something he sits around in a group and they talk about it and everybody goes, amen, and then walks away and it's not real. This is actually a giant object of mass in the Apostle Paul's life that when suffering happens, he sees it in a certain way. Today, we want to look at how Paul sees suffering and to see whether we can see it the same. Open your Bible, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. First, we take a look at how Paul describes his life. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Paul says this, if I can get these pages apart. Verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. The treasure that he's referring to goes back to verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. There's this treasure where God, it's the power that God had in the beginning where he spoke light into darkness He's now spoke light into the darkness of people's lives, Paul in particular here. He has overcome the darkness in Paul's life. He's redeemed him. And now there's a power in Paul to share this light with others. And Paul is seeing redemption throughout his life. It's this amazing, extraordinary power, this treasure, and yet Paul says it's in a jar of clay. That treasure's in a jar of clay. Now, there were lots of jars of clay in the first century. They were used for all kinds of things. But the thing is, they are breakable. They are not things that you're going to store your most valuable possessions in. Here's this breakable jar, and Paul says that is what this treasure is in. 
And he calls himself the breakable jar. I don't know about you, but that does seem like a good description of how I feel a lot. I do not feel, as I once did when I was young, impervious. In fact, I often feel the opposite of impervious. When I lean down and then I can't get back up for a moment, the opposite of impervious. Jar of clay. But that's where the treasure is. I just read this story about this older gentleman who lives in England. And in 2016, he, he, had, he had an auctioneer come and, and look at this gold crown with leaves on it that he found. The gold crown was from the Grecian period, over 2,000 years old. Do you know where it was stored? In a brown box under his bed for years. And when I read the story, I went and opened every box I could find in our house. <laughs> Checked under beds, everything. There were no gold crowns. But this, it, the value of it is about $130,000. The power of God in a jar of clay. Why? I put it there. Keep reading. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. He'll give more description in a minute, but here it is. Why in jars of clay? So that there's never a doubt about the origin of the power. Never a doubt that when light is shining from you, when redemption is happening because of things doing in your life, that God is working through you. And there's never a doubt about that because we're jars of clay. Right? And in fact, for Paul, listen to this description. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. The word afflicted in Greek most often means closed in or hemmed in. Uh, he says we are almost crushed and yet there's an escape. He says perplexed but not driven to despair. So often we don't have answers. In fact, we're so overwhelmed with not knowing what to do and yet we don't despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. The word persecuted literally means hunted down. Like we are abused. People come after us, and yet we are not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Struck down is a wrestling move in Greek where you throw a person to the ground. And where it says not destroyed, it means it's only a setback. We are thrown to the ground as one wrestler throws another wrestler, and yet we get up. Hey, do you hear all of the things that go on in Paul's life? He is perplexed. He is hemmed in. He is abused. He is thrown to the ground. And yet, as a jar of clay, what's not happening? He's not broken. He is not destroyed. Why? Because the treasure in him. Because God continues to rescue him. It wasn't only a salvation moment for Paul where God acted, but God keeps acting in his life. 
God keeps rescuing. God keeps showing up. God keeps doing something to show that it's not Paul because he should have been crushed. He should have been broken. He's a jar of clay. But there's something going on in Paul's life that shows a surpassing power that is greater than the Apostle Paul. Um, everybody know what a Volkswagen bus is? <laughs> I was reading about a guy who took a Porsche 911 turbo engine and stuck it into a Volkswagen bus. <laughs> Which I thought, that's awesome. And then I kept reading, looking for more. You know what a Fiat 500 is? Little car with 130 horsepower? A guy got a Lamborghini V12 into it. <laughs> when you rev it and you look at it, something is really off. Because <laughs> it sounds like a race car and it looks like one of these little tiny electric cars. <laughs> and you know by its sound and by how fast this Fiat now goes, that something inside of that car does not belong to that car. That is what Paul is saying about his life. That there is something in his life that shows that whatever's inside is doing far more than what the Apostle Paul could ever do. The surpassing power of God is in this jar of clay, and it is rescuing him. But it is doing more. Keep going. Verse 10, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. It's interesting about that word death is in Greek, the common word is thanos, which is used 47 times by Paul. Only twice does he use this, necrosis. Only twice. And it's interesting that he pulls this word out right here. Because Thanos refers to just cessation of life. It's that point where you stop breathing, it's done. Necrosis is the process of death. The other time he uses it is when he's talking about Abraham in Romans 4. And how Abraham is going, my body is basically dead. There's no way I can have a kid. Because it's on its way. Things are falling apart. It's already, it's the hardship that is leading to the end. When Paul says we carry around the death of Jesus, he's not just meaning in some mystical way the cross. He's talking about the sufferings that Jesus went through. Paul is going through sufferings. Even as Christ throughout his life went through sufferings, so is Paul. And there's a reason. For we are all, sorry, so that... Uh, <laughs> We just did a training for readers, and we told them when you make a mistake, just back up calmly and keep reading. Don't go, <laughs> so just don't listen to me, readers. Do what I say, not what I do. That's what I tell my kids. All right, verse 10, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death. It's not a once-time thing. This is the experience of Paul's life. We're always being given over to death for Jesus' sake 
so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. All right, we need to talk about the life of Jesus for a moment. Here's what we know. From the point of eating the fruit in the garden, sin came in and things got dark. From the moment that the first human couple were ashamed of their nakedness in a way they were not ashamed of before they ate that fruit, to the ground being hard to work, to childbirth being painful, to sickness and everything coming into our world, it would get hard after that. There is never a guarantee in the Christian life until eternity that things will be easy. In fact, the only guarantee is they will not because we live in a fallen, messed up world. And when you look at the life of Jesus and the way he brought the kingdom in, he did not bring the kingdom in by walking into Rome and going, here I am, Rome. I will be victorious in all ways by kicking butt, taking names, and doing what I feel like doing. I will wear the most expensive robes with a giant gold crown worth far more than $133,000 on my head. No, he came in and he had no place to lay his head. He was dependent on others who provided for him. He was abused. He was rejected. When he's dying on the cross, those thousands and thousands of followers who made it at one point where he couldn't even get into a village, none of them are there because he suffered, and he suffered a lot. The kingdom came through humility and suffering. It did not come through this great warfare where he was victorious in all things. It came through suffering. Guess what? God's still using it. In a fallen world, God is still taking suffering and he's using it for his glory. He's using it to shed light. He's using it to bring redemption. He's using it to show people his love. And Paul says, we are suffering. We're going through all kinds of stuff. I mean, let me just read to you the litany of some of Paul's physical and emotional and mental sufferings. Imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all these things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Suffering. Paul knew it. 
He knew it regularly. He knew it daily. And yet he also knew this. God was using that suffering to shine the light of the gospel into people's lives. I read about this man actually this morning, um, and I had to include his story. Um, his name is Alexander, and he was born a little before World War II started on the island of Crete. During World War II, when he was six years old, Germans came in and destroyed his village. His parents were killed. He ended up in a concentration camp. And when he came out, he wanted his life to be a force for peace, especially between Germans and his own people. Because the hostility remained, as you might well imagine. And one of the ways that he did this is he founded an institute right on the site of where German paratroopers landed and slaughtered villages, lined them up and just shot them. He built an institute there. And one day, as he was leading a class, somebody raised their hand and they said, what? Actually, he had said, any last questions? You know, you're like at the end. Any last questions? And somebody raised their hand and said, what is the meaning of life? How's that for your last question? Got a few chuckles, like people, you know, because he's a very smart, respected guy. But he answered it. This was his answer. When I was a small child during the war, we were very poor, and we lived in a remote village. One day on the road, I found the broken pieces of a mirror. A German motorcycle had been wrecked in that place. I tried to find all the pieces and put them together, but it was not possible. So I kept only the largest piece, this one, and he held it up. And by scratching it with a stone, I made it round. I began to play with it as a toy, and I became fascinated by the fact that I could reflect light into dark places where the sun would never shine, in deep holes and crevices and dark closets. It became a game for me to get light into the most inaccessible places I could find. I kept the little mirror, and I, as I went about growing up, I would take it out in idle moments, and I would continue the game. And as I became a man, I grew to understand that this is not just a child's game, but a metaphor for what I might do with my life. I came to understand that I am not the light or the source of the light, but the light, truth, knowledge, it's there, and it will only shine in the dark places if I'm reflecting it. I'm a fragment of a mirror whose whole design and shape I don't know, yet nevertheless, with what I have, I can reflect that light into the dark places of this world, into the black places in the hearts of men, and maybe some change will take place in people. This is what I am about. This is the meaning of life. This was Paul's life. But there was a light that he had in him that he would shine into dark places. But to get into dark places, it required suffering. 
Sometimes it requires suffering because the very people that need this are suffering. Sometimes it requires suffering because to get to the people who need it, there may be persecution. There may be barriers standing in the way. But that's what Paul did is he shined the light into dark places, even when it hurt. Here's how the power worked in Paul's life. Number one, though he was a jar of clay, the power of God was constantly working so that no matter how far he got down the path into perplexity, despair, abuse, it never won. It never overcame him. In the same way that he didn't give in, like we covered last week, he never gave up, no matter what came into his life, because this is what Paul knew. God was working in him. My brothers and sisters, God is working in you. He is working in you to where you cannot get beyond his power or his grace. You may want to ignore what he's doing and treat it as that gold crown in a box sitting under your bed that you just forget about. But in faith, every single day, we can say, the surpassing power of God is at work in me. And you cannot take me too far because the surpassing power of God is at work, even as it was in Paul. Because guess what? As I said at the beginning, I am a jar of clay. I'm pretty sure everybody in this room feels the same way. We will experience hardship, but God is working in us. But here's a second way that Paul saw it. And I think this is important for us in two things. Paul saw his suffering as a means by which God was bringing redemption. God, Paul didn't look at his suffering and go, why me? He didn't look at his suffering and he goes, you know what, this is just stupid and I'm giving up. Because the mass, the object of his belief that God used his suffering for redemption was so big that it kept drawing Paul away from giving in or giving up or self-pity. And instead it drew Paul into going, God is making me the light. And he would not give up and he would not give in. His suffering was bringing redemption to others. And Paul held that no matter what he was going through. I would say this to us. We need to remember this. And I think especially in America, in our day and age, the fact that you are a Christian was not free. Not only did Jesus pay a cost, but following him, others suffered so the faith would get this far. If the apostle Paul hadn't suffered as he did, and then those who came after him, your faith was not free. We are prone to say, well, you know, I was just born here, and this is what my family was, and that may be true, but something led to the fact that that's what your family was, and this is where you are. There is suffering along the line of generations that led to our faith. It cost something. And you and I have the honor and the privilege 
of being like the apostle where our light can shine. But I can guarantee you this one thing. Some of that shining will take place through suffering. It will. You will suffer at some point. And those are the moments where the object can be this suffering God can use redemptively. And God sticks with his people. I mean, if he's sticking with Paul through everything Paul went through, he's sticking with me. And I can hold on and not give in and not give up because God is working. That's the opportunity we have. And you know what? Here's the amazing part of it. So, at Crafted, I really, really did not know what I was doing. And standing there before we started, I was as nervous as I am coming up here to preach. <laughs> because I'm looking around at these tables and the tools and the things they've made and all these people, and I'm like, I, I, I don't even know where to start. I don't know how the process is going to go. I'm going to look like a moron when I do this, which will be extra good being the only male in the room, you know, working with tools, and I'm the only one who feels like he doesn't know what he's doing. My wife, on the other hand, because she loves this, she's done it like, I don't know, 36 times? Kidding. Four, five, six times, something like that. Um, she knows the owner. It's a small business. And so between the owner, my wife, and the owner's husband, I got so much help. I mean, they're like guiding me and directing me and showing me how to peel things off and like they're coming along and fixing my mistakes and all this stuff so that by the end, this is what I made. It says, dare to be different. I can tell you that I did not draw anything on this. <laughs> I did not cut this wood. I did not put this thing on the back to hang it up with. I did not provide the paints. I could not even get the stencil thing off here to paint over. But this is what I made. Because all the right power was working on my behalf. And this was the hard part. I accepted the help. And I tell you, in a very sexist way, how embarrassing it is <laughs> to be a guy and have no idea how to build something out of wood. <laughs> But the product, the end result, was something kind of cool. Guys, you don't have to know how to do this. You have to trust God to do it in you. You got to be willing to let him do his work in his power and keep looking to him, not giving up, not giving in, and not thinking you have to have all the answers. You got to know why, how long, what am I going to do? No. You're going to trust 
And maybe at the end of three hours, three days, three years, you will see the way that God shines through you to bring redemption. Because that's what he's about. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you that as we see in Paul's life, he went through a lot. Persecuted, perplexed, crushed, or pulled, hemmed in, all these things, and yet you were with him. You never let it go too far. You were always there. Lord, remind us that you're there for us, and right now I know each person in this room can think of a time where you came through. Lord, help us to hold on to that. You are with us. And Lord, help us to know that our suffering can be used by you for redemption. That we can be those shining a light. Lord, give us that faith. In Jesus' name, amen. And now would you please stand and let us proclaim together in the words of the Apostles' Creed what we believe to be true. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please remain standing as we have a time of prayer together. Hear our prayer. And let us now confess our sins against God and our neighbor. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Together we confess. Most merciful God, 
we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, have mercy on you, forgive you all of your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ, strengthen you in all goodness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep you in eternal life. Amen. Brothers and sisters, may the peace of the Lord be always with you. Greet one another with a sign of peace. Introduce yourself to somebody around you that you don't know. As you are being seated, I have something I want to share. So, Aaron and I started the church five years ago. And one of the things that we did, because we wanted to do this right, is... You know, we read church planting stuff, visited some churches, talked to some church planters, but we also hired a church planting coach who came in, and we had a launch team of 18 or 20 people, and he came in, he'd been in, I mean, he did, he's done this for decades, and he did a one-month intensive on church planting for us. And he laid out all these things we're supposed to do, things we're not supposed to do. We listened to a lot of it. We ignored some of it because we thought we knew better. But we did like what people do. But one of the things that he said to us is, I, we, were supposed to take one month off every year. We've never done that. 
Um, he also said every three to five years or so, somewhere in there, you should take a sabbatical. We've never done that. But recently, our bishop and one of our canons told us it was time. And so Aaron and I are taking a sabbatical. Um, we are not leaving. Um, we are not being pushed out. The bishop loves what is happening at Redemption. Um, he has told us more than once, but he also knows that we are worn down. Um, I did not realize how worn down I was until I was told forcefully that I should take this. Because the idea of a sabbatical to me is just, I, it's just weird, um, taking time off like that. And so after my wife told me it was a good idea, and the bishop told me it was a good idea, and the canon told me it was a good idea, and Tim, our senior warden, reminded me that our church coach told me it was a good idea, all of those things to mind, I went, all right, maybe I need a break. And oh my goodness, I realized I'm worn down. I'm kind of beat up. Um, to be very honest, I didn't know what it was going to take to be the rector of a church. Um, all I've done for the last 15, 18, 19 years is church work. But it's only been the last five that I've led a church. And I think I just thought that all my other ministry experience, this would just be kind of the exact same thing. There's more to it. Um, and I'm still learning what that is to get mean that there's more to it. But this break is going to be very good for our family. Um, I want to give, and I know Aaron does too, everything we have to this church. What I'm realizing is I don't have a whole lot right now. Um, I'm struggling to do a lot of things, and so we just need some rest. Um, here's what's going to happen, and then I'll explain one other part. Um, next Sunday, Father's Day, that'll be my last Sunday. And then we're taking five Sundays off. The sixth Sunday, I'll be back. I won't be preaching, but I'll be back. I'll celebrate. I'll lead the service, but I won't be preaching that day. So basically what he wanted is 40 days, which, you know, I'm thinking, the only thing I know of 40 days is like 40 terrible days in the wilderness for Jesus. <laughs> is that what you really want for my sabbatical? So 40 days was, was what he wanted for our sabbatical, and so that, that's what we're taking. Um, following next Sunday after the service, we're going to leave, and we're going to go to going to go to Colorado, um, which was our normal plan. And then from Colorado, we'll just be kind of gone. Um, the Michaels have given us their cabin for a week. We're going to hang out at home for a while with our family. Um, the goal is to rest, to recuperate, to spend time together as a family. Um, I'm hoping to keep doing some writing, uh, just to get the energy all back, and then to come back to the fall and be able to give everything to the church that we can give. Um, However, here's the neat thing about our church. Right? Father Andy, would you come up? I'm not <laughs> so, from the beginning, we have had another priest. He has been here from our launch team. 
Um, he, has got, he became a priest before I did. He's got experience in full-time ministry. He's got experience in the world and in ministry at the same time. Um, I go to Father Andy sometimes when I'm asking things about Anglican stuff because it's in his blood, and I kind of came to it as a newbie out of a Bible church. Father Andy will be leading the church while I'm gone. You're in good hands with him. Not only do you have Father Andy who will be leading the church. Um, Jeremy, would you stand up? Uh, you've all heard, stay, no, no, you have to stay, keep standing. Just stand there. Um, you've all heard Jeremy preach. He will handle at least a bulk of our preaching while I'm gone. Um, Deacon Lori, would you stand up? We have a deacon who's been here also for five years and who knows the church and who has been of great pastoral help to the women of our church in particular. She's going to be here. Trey, he's going to be here leading worship. Um, redemption's going to keep going just like it always has. My encouragement to all of you is to stay with it. Um, I know at times in churches when the senior pastor is gone, then other people tend to be gone too. Don't do that here. There are good people here that can run this church. And I expect no hiccups whatsoever. Okay? <laughs> Just kidding. All right, you guys can be seated down. <laughs> be seated down. I See, I need a break. I can't even talk. You can be seated down. Go. Um, my prayer is, or my ask, I guess, is that you guys would pray for us. Um, pray for us. Pray for the church. If you are new here, um, please stick around. Again, we have good preaching. We have good celebrating. We have good worship. We have good stuff, even when we're not here. So get to know the people there, and I don't know. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm really excited. If my sermon next week is like 10 minutes long, you'll know that I just had nothing left. That was it. No. If you have any questions at any point before the sabbatical, please talk to me. If you have any questions after the sabbatical, please talk to Father Andy. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for everything that you have done over the last five years. Lord, and I mean everything. The times that have been really good and the times that have been super hard. Lord, for the challenges and for the joys, for the pain, but for all of it, you've been at work, and we give you all the honor and glory. And we ask that you would continue to transform lives. You continue to use Redemption Church to share redemption with people. Lord, thank you for the provision that you've put in all of our lives. Take the tithes and offerings of your people and use them for your kingdom. In Christ's name, amen.